Thank you for your blessing. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew chapter 22, beginning verse number 15. The Bible says this, And the Pharisees went, and they plotted how to entangle him in his words. They sent their disciples to him, along with Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true, and you teach the way of God truthfully. You do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Well, Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me a coin for the tax. They brought him a denarius. Jesus said to them, Whose image, or likeness rather, an inscription is this? They said, Caesar. He said to them, Therefore render to Caesar things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they heard it, they marveled, and they left Him and went away. And this is the word of the Lord this morning. We're into the book of Matthew again, continuing on our look here. Matthew chapter 22. And we come across a passage that is very relevant for the day and hour in which we find ourselves in. And that is the thought of what is the role and responsibility in our lives when it comes to government. And what is government's role and responsibility in our lives? What role does government have in our lives? What is it that we can and we cannot do when it comes to government? When it comes to the state, when it comes to Caesar, if you would, in our own lives, in our 21st century context. These are important questions. And this pandemic is forcing us as a country, as a society, and me, to think about these questions on a deeper basis. But you know, when you read this passage and you think about those things, you ultimately realize there is a deeper question. There is a more important question that is addressed in this interaction with Jesus. And that more, more important question is not our response to government, because that will vary depending on what part of the world we might live in. But more importantly, the question is, what is our response to God? What does God have to say? What role does God play in our lives? And how are we as individuals responding to God? Because you see, at least in our country here in America, we have you know, two basic camps of people. Those who say we should follow and support and government should control each and every little detail and aspect of our life. And then, of course, we have those who say, no, we don't want government involved in any part of our lives. And we all kind of fall somewhere in the middle. We see there's only one accurate response when it comes to God. Many of us will fall in one of these two camps when it comes to human government, but when it comes to our response to God, we don't fall in any camp because we will not submit to Him or follow His rule and pattern for our lives. 
And I want to remind you as we get into this passage this morning, what you are looking at when you read through the book of Matthew is the coming of a new and a different king. The coming of a king that supersedes all earthly kings and all earthly powers. And this king, each and every one of us, must submit our lives to regardless of where we come down on the political spectrum. Regardless of what we think about the role of human government, there is no room for debate or discussion when it comes to God and His authority in our lives. And my challenge to you is this, are you following the rules and edicts of your heavenly King? The King whose kingdom you profess to be a part of. How do we dare call Him our King and yet we do not submit? to what God wants in our lives. That's the challenge we consider today. So let's look in this passage here a little bit more and see what God is speaking to us. We notice verse 15, the Bible tells us the Pharisees went and they hatched up a plot. They plotted how to entangle Jesus in His words. Okay, As we've mentioned before the last couple of weeks, Jesus has angered the religious leaders. They were making a lot of money when, you know, people would come to sacrifice, come to Passover, and they would charge outrageous prices for turtle doves and pigeons and and lambs to be offered up as sacrifices. They had a lot of control over everyone's life. I mean, what a great thing to be able to stand there and say, nah, you can't marry that person. I don't think you should. Or nah, you can't do this. I don't think you should take that job or whatever. That's the kind of power they had. And here comes Jesus, and He's totally throwing it upside down because He is a different king in a different kingdom. He's telling them not to submit to these religious leaders, but rather submit to God. This has made them angry, so let's find a way to trap Him. Let's find a way to knock Him out. Verse 16, they sent their disciples to Him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, We know that you are true and you teach the way of God truthfully and you don't care about opinion because you're not assuaged by man's appearances. Interesting to say the least. Pharisees want to trap Jesus are so caught up in their anger towards Jesus that they are willing to ally themselves with their arch enemies, the Herodians. These people were at political odds with each other. They were at religious odds with each other, and yet they had one thing in common, and that was the overarching hatred towards Jesus. Reminds me of that picture of Churchill and Roosevelt and Stalin all sitting together. Two men diametrically opposed to the evil of Joseph Stalin, and yet these strange bedfellows are united together in their defeat. The Axis powers in World War II, that's kind of what we got going on here. Of course, what they do, they come to Jesus with all kinds of flattery and buttering Him up, making Him allegedly, hopefully, feel good about Himself. Commentary says this, they address Jesus with a respectful teacher. They go on to say, we know that you are true. They said the adjective that is normally used for truthful statements But we have a problem putting it in the English because we do not speak as of people as being true. 
The statement means that Jesus has truth in his very being. Okay, when they come to him and they, they say, you teach the way of God truthfully, they're saying, Jesus, you are true. You are truthful in and of yourself. But not only is he truthful, but he also is no respecter of person. Again, the verse says you don't care about anyone's opinion. You're not swayed by men's appearances. He's not swayed in any way by a rich person coming to him, a politically connected person, whatever you want to say. Jesus, we think you are a truthful man who is totally objective. Okay, these weird consortium of allies, this flattery, if you would, buttering up of Jesus and then. Here comes the question. So tell us. Tell us, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Hey, here's the big question. Now, the tax they have in mind, according to most people, is the first century poll tax. Nobody likes paying taxes. Nothing has changed in 2,000 years of history, right? But at least when you pay some taxes, you... Hopefully you can see the benefit of your taxes. Hopefully you can see roads being built and you can see a military keeping us safe. But, but it seems like with this poll tax, there was really no benefit to the Jewish people at all. It was simply Caesar taking money out of their pockets and enriching himself. They did not like that. Nobody would like that. We don't like that when our own politicians do that to us, tax us, and seemingly enrich or pay off their cronies and their allies. But of course, what do you do when Rome has taken away your weapons and Rome has soldiers posted all over ready to kill you in a moment's notice? So they get Jesus. This is the ultimate gotcha question. We catch him. Either he says yes, pay your tax, and all the Jewish people turn on him because they hated this tax so much. Or he says, no, don't pay your tax. And the Roman soldiers immediately arrest him and try him for insurrection against the government. Of course, verse 18 tells us what happens. Jesus Aware of their malice is why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? And Jesus sees right through the question, doesn't he? Sees right through like 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 your child when come up to him and say, Are you eating cookies? And here they are with chocolate all over their hands and crumbs all over their hands and mouth, and they look at you and say, No, you're like, Really? Really, kid? This is exactly what is going on? Jesus sees right through the question. Perhaps this is a reminder to you and I, and this isn't the point of the message, but do you understand that God sees right through you and I and our lives? Do you realize that God sees every thought, every deed, every word, every action, even if it is in the most private, hidden away place in this world. Psalm 139, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before I say a word, you know it, God. 
Listen, there's a lot of talk about internet privacy, privacy and everything else, right to privacy. Fact of the matter is, there is no privacy when it comes to God. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4 that the Word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and the spirit of joints and of marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the very heart of things that my own spouse doesn't know about. God knows. The things that my children don't know about, God knows. I think I'm so clever because I can hide stuff from them. And the reality is, you cannot hide from God. Verse 19, Matthew 22, Jesus plays along. Okay, show me the money. Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Got a day's worth of work, a common coin. But then verse 20 is where things get very interesting. Jesus said to them, whose likeness and whose inscription is on this coin? Here we see in verses 20 and 21 the hypocrisy of the religious leaders is exposed, laid bare. Everyone can see their hypocrisy Right here, it's Caesar's. You wonder if they realize at this point or maybe it's after their next phrase. You wonder when it hits them. You know what? We're busted. First of all, they're busted for using the moment, the money that the Roman government put into circulation. But they were so opposed to the Roman government they should not be using Rome's resources, right? But here they are walking around with Rome's money in their pocket using Rome's currency as legal transactions just like you and I do. And yet at the same time, they want Jesus to stand up and oppose the Roman government. There's a meme on the internet, you know, a picture. It says, all of you that claim that Donald Trump is not your president, you shouldn't use the stimulus check that most of us got in the mail or in our bank account over the last month or so. Of course, it's a silly meme. It's kind of stupid or whatever you want to say, but at the point of the meme is supposed to say, you can't really claim to be an American and claim that the president is not your president and yet enjoy all the benefits and blessings of having what we have in America. And there is a certain element of truth to that. That's not a slam on anyone that does not support or is not going to vote for the president because it's reality regardless of what party affiliation you're in. We stand there all we want to and say, oh, if Biden gets elected, he will not be my president. But at the same time, we're going to continue to live in this country and a little bit of hypocrisy going on there. Men looked at him and said, well, the image, the likeness, the inscription is Caesar's. Verse 21, he said to them, okay, render to Caesar things that are Caesar's. Give to God the things that are God's. Jesus exposes their hypocrisy. 
And then he asked them an, an embarrassing question. Whose portrait is it? Whose inscription? And you can just see the disgust in their word as they spit out the word Caesar. He did not like Caesar. Bore the legend of Tiberius Caesar, Augustus, son of the deified Augustus, chief priest. The use of Caesar's coinage acknowledges his authority and with it the obligation to pay taxes. They could not benefit from imperial roads, education, justice, and freedom from invasion without making their contribution. Far from imperiling their social and political structure, Jesus is saying those who enjoy Caesar's benefits should pay Caesar's taxes. One little word, one little phrase, one little question. The hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders is entirely exposed. Here's the problem. They didn't want to say they worship Caesar. They didn't want to pledge allegiance to Caesar. And yet they're walking around with a coin with Caesar's image on it. And we don't think about that. We have our money, our currency obviously has presidents of our country on it or whatever else like that. But, but back in those days, the coin was so much more. When they had the image on it, they were ascribing to the deity or the person, I should say, whose image is on the coin, an amount of deity. They were saying that this person is divine. Rome thought their Caesars were in fact divine. They were in fact a part of deity. And so for the Jewish people to use the money of the deity and yet claim that He is not divine, to use the benefits of the Roman government yet not want to give them the benefit that they owed, the due that they owed. The hypocrisy was strong. What does Jesus do here? He says to them, yes, paid taxes to Caesar. At the same time, tell Caesar, no, you're not giving him his worship. And honestly, this is the problem that Rome had with Christians. And it's the problem that a lot of governments have with Christians today. Because they want more than just our contribution, more than just our taxes. They want our allegiance and our loyalty to them. And you see this vivid in China, the communist repressive state where the only churches allowed to exist must pledge their loyalty to the communist government. They must have on their wall pictures of the Xi Jinping, the leader of communist China. And you realize what a terrible, hypocritical thing it is. Because we as a people pledge allegiance to no one but Christ. And the churches that will not do this are being shut down and destroyed all over China. And we see it in some regards in, in our own country. I mean, you want to build a field hospital that's equivalent to a military hospital right in the middle of Central Park. And you want anyone that's inflicted with coronavirus to come in and be served regardless of their age, their race, their gender, or gender orientation. You cannot do that unless your organization 
scribes to the leftist ideology. So many progressive people in New York City. See, Samaritan's Purse, we don't care about the good you want to do and the help you want to provide a nation in crisis. You must say that any kind of sexual orientation is good. We don't want you in New York. Allegiance. Here we have in this trap, this gotcha question that Jesus throws. At the religious leaders, there's a profound question that you and I must consider as well. And that is this. What in our lives belong to Caesar or the state or the government? And what in our lives ultimately belongs to God? And are we giving to God our ultimate loyalty and allegiance as His people? So as we look at this passage, there's several things for us to see and understand in this passage today. One of them is there is a call and a challenge for the state, the government to understand its limitations. Read in one of the commentaries I was studying with this week that verse 21 is what helped inspire the Reformation doctrine of differing spheres of a spheres of authority for government and religion. And it actually proved foundational for the American constitutional understanding of the separation of church and state. That is, this idea that giving to God what is His and giving to the state what is theirs. There is some kind of separation. And governments need to realize that yes, they have a right and an obligation to provide for the overall welfare of its being. But there is a limitation on what government can demand from its people. And to demand ultimate loyalty and allegiance and fidelity to them above anything else certainly is not what God wants of government. You see, because Jesus is trying to ultimately illustrate, yes, Caesar has a right to demand taxes if you are going to share in the benefits and blessings of the Roman Empire. But Caesar does not have a right to demand your worship. And even in this pandemic, we're seeing people that are not ultimately loyal to whatever state executive power, whether it's federal or state level or local level, sometimes the state is overstepping its bounds. Say, no, you must give me your loyalty and do exactly what I want you to. So there's a call in this passage for the state to understand its limitation. On the other hand, though, there is a reminder to you and I that we owe the state certain obligations in our life. We live in a certain country, in a certain locality. We should therefore consider what our obligations to that country is. And I go back to that meme that I was talking about earlier where people are saying, if you don't vote for Trump, you shouldn't use the stimulus money. And like I said, it's kind of a silly, hypocritical thing to say. It reminds us though that we are citizens in this country. We have obligations as, as citizens of whatever country we live in. 
We can't expect to get in our automobiles and drive from here to whatever part of the country, whether Florida or the Midwest or on the West Coast, and not pay the obligation of people, of those who are maintaining the roads and bridges and highway system. They're opening up the restrooms along the highway so that you can stop and, and get out and stretch and use the restroom and whatever else as you're traveling. You have an obligation if you're going to go through an airport to, to help maintain the upkeep of that airport. And whether it comes in through a tax on your ticket or, or, or county taxes or city taxes, however we pay for airports, there is something to be said about paying for the services of using these privileges. Thankfully, in our country, in America, we have a say. And what we can do and who we like. And if we say that you're charging us too much for whatever this or that or the other. If we say you have overstepped your bounds here in November, we have an obligation, a right to, to say we don't like what you're demanding of us. And we can change that. Other countries are not so fortunate, but regardless of where you live, you have an obligation as a citizen of that place, to give what it is that they ask you. They have an obligation not to demand more than what they should. And many countries way overstep that boundary. Of course, we also remember when we think about this, that they do not have an obligation to ask you anything that goes against the dictates of the Word of God. And that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 5 and they told Peter and James and John, you better stop preaching about Jesus. In Acts 5.29, Peter and the apostles answered and said, we are going to obey God rather than man. It's not a burden on me to drive a certain speed limit in my township or on the highway for the overall good and welfare. And even though I may get to a place later than I normally would, it's probably best that I follow the speed limit. If someone stands up and says, you've got to stop proselytizing, stop telling about Jesus, that's when we say, you know what? We're going to obey God. And what God demands of us, we will give to Him. And so it reminds us, this passage reminds us, the state has limitations on what they can extract from us as humans. But we, on the other hand, have obligations to the state Caesar that we are under, but ultimately it reminds us of our ultimate obligation. And that is our obligation to give to God what is His. You see, the denarius bore an image. The image was Caesar's. But you and I bear an image as well. The use of the penny is determined by its allegiance, or its likeness, I should say. And so it is. Our use is determined by our likeness. Everything within us, every grace and gift and charm and power, is the stamp of God upon our lives. You are God's child. You bear God's image. And you must give to Him your supreme and unceasing tribute. When you do that, 
Everything else becomes minor in and of themselves. You see, our lives bear the image of God, and if we bear the image of God, then God must be the sovereign ruler over our lives. Genesis 1.27 tells us that God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. We bear the Imago Dei, the image of God, and we don't have a choice. We must surrender our lives, our beings, ourselves to the design and plan that God has ordained for each and every one of us. See, this is where we run into problems, isn't it? We don't like the idea that God has a design for marriage and sexuality. So we buck against it. We said, no, I'm going to marry who I want to and when I want to, and I'm going to uh, have relationship with whoever I want to. And we wind up going against what God has planned. We don't like the idea that God has a design for how we interact with each other. Forgiving each other, serving each other, treating more others more highly than we treat ourselves. Learning to bear with each other, being patient with each other. All of the things that God commands us to do in Scripture as it relates to each other. And we don't like it. And we go and we kick against the fact that we are made in the image of God and we will not submit to His rule in our life. Because that person has done me wrong and I have every right for revenge and bitterness and anger in my heart. That person doesn't deserve more than what I have and I have every right for bitterness, envy, and jealousy in my heart. See, you're not giving to God what is His. I could go on and on, but the point is clear. If my life bears the image of God, then I must submit to His rule in my life. And Paul even said in this way in 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Even coming down to our diet, our choices, we do this to reflect the image and goodness of God and we submit to His Lordship in our life? Yes, because He's the King. I like what the message translation says about Romans 12, and I'm not a big fan of the message paraphrase, but I like these words in Romans 12. It says this, Eugene Peterson, I'm paraphrasing Romans 12, 1 and 2, says, here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. He develops well-formed maturity out of you. Of course, we know those words as present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But what is he saying? He's saying that in our each and everyday life, we surrender and we submit to our God. We submit 
to what the King wants from our lives. And we forgive those who have trespassed against us because we know that's what God requires. We love those who are unlovable because we know that's what God requires. I'll finish with this. Here's the difference between Caesar and our King. Caesar's going to require taxes of you. Caesar's not going to pay your taxes. For all this talk about stimulus relief and everything else, the simple truth of the matter is the President, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell have not called me up and said, hey, I'll take your burden for you. No, we know what's happened, and this year is an exception with April 15th being moved, but eventually, if your taxes are not paid, they will hunt you down, and they will demand what is required of you. Mary and I know that from experience when we first moved here. Taxes in 2012 weren't filled out the way we were used to in Kansas, and it's here different in Pennsylvania I think it was resolved in 2015 or 2016. They, they found us. They demanded the money we owed them. It's the way it works. You see, we owe God our lives and we're unable to pay because of the sin that has us bound. The difference between God and Caesar's is God said, yes, you owe me your life. But you cannot give me your life because of the sin that is there. But guess what I will do? I will pay the debt that you owe. I will give my son to die for you. I will be the one who takes the bill and pays it with my own blood. And I will stamp on it paid in full. Colossians says these words. You who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made you alive together with Him. He has forgiven us all our trespasses. He has canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He said that Greek word, tetelestai, paid in full. It is finished. And you and I are now free to give God our lives because He has paid the debt of sin. And so, I don't know what to say about what we're facing and what we're doing. It's a tough, challenging thing and things I question in my mind day after day. Is this right? Is this not right? But I know what is right. What is right is that I Live and I order my life the way that God wants me to. It's the least I can do because He has paid the debt for me. If you're here and you're struggling, you're watching this, and there's areas of your life you have not surrendered to Him, today is a day to do it. If you're here and you have not bowed your knee before Him and asked Him to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins, today is that day. He stands ready to wipe it all out as soon as you place your trust in Him. Pray that you will do that today. If you do, contact us. Let us know. Love to pray with you. Try to help you on your journey towards following Christ.
Amen. Pray with me if you would this morning. Lord, it's good to see that in 2,000 years of human history, things have not changed. We wrestle with our obligation towards government, towards civil society. And I know the Jewish leaders, the Jewish people of that of your day did as well. But Lord, no matter where we face and what we go through in this crisis that we are in, help us to always remember our ultimate obligation is not towards a government, not towards a Republican or Democrat party, but our obligation is to surrender to You, the King of the world. Let us do that, I pray. As we do so, all of these other things will be a whole lot better and easier in our life. We pray the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each.